Hello, it is Monty here from Show and Tell, and I am really excited to bring you this bonus episode of The Change Up with the utterly amazing Mari Andrews. Now, The Change Up is a series that we at Show and Tell have been working on with Tom Organic to find out what inspires a person to make a change, to choose a different path, to fight the status quo, to try and beat the odds. We asked a group of inspiring, creative visionaries about their change-up in their careers, personal lives, health communities, or the world around them. And I tell you what, Mari Andrew fits into this series so beautifully. Now, I didn't get to sit down with Mari for this chat, but Dominie Marshall, from her words, who is the winner of the Tom Organic Female Empowerment Grant, sat down with Mari while Mari was here in Melbourne promoting a new book, Am I There Yet? The Loop de Zoop Zigzagging Journey to Adulthood. Now, if you're not familiar with Mari's work, which so many of you are because she has so many Instagram followers, she is a writer and illustrator and creator of the hugely popular Instagram account. She is a New Yorker and she shares how resilience and a sense of humour can really help us to survive the tumultuous journey to adulthood. Now, Mari beautifully sketches and narrates her experiences of grief, of heartache, illness, and everything in between. And really, these pictures teach us about empathy, resilience, and vulnerability, one piece of art at a time. Her work has resonated so deeply with so many people. Um, As I said, she has a huge social media following. Over one million people follow her. And Zoe Foster-Blake is a massive fan of Mari and has collaborated with her on her recent book as well. Now, just before we get into this chat, I just want to let you know about Tom Organic. Do you know what is in your tampons? At Tom Organic, there is only one thing on the ingredient list that is pure, 100% organic cotton. That means there's no chemicals, no hidden pesticides, and when you use up to 12,000 tampons in your lifetime, it just makes sense. You can find Tom Organic tampons on a shelf at Coles, Chemist Warehouse, or Woolworths today, and see for yourself why women around the country are making the change. So sit back, get out your pen and paper, because this is such a beautiful change-up chat with Mari Andrew. Um, so you know a little bit about this podcast. It's called The Change Up and we talk to um, amazing women who've done incredible things in their lives and broken the rules in some way or you know, changed up um, their careers or their lives or health or whatever it is and, and taken a different path, I guess, from the status quo. Um, you've also just recently released a book um, called Am I There Yet? The Loop de Loop Zigzagging Journey to Adulthood. Um, could you share a little bit with us about, I guess, your loop-de-loop zigzagging journey to adulthood? And um, I was kind of reading up on you before this, and I think I, I heard somewhere that you studied, was it a, a Master's or a Bachelor of Medieval Literature? Uh, medieval history. Medieval history. So useless. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I love the humanities, but yeah, I studied that in the university. So that was um, the beginning of my career in mm. completely wasting time. Okay. I um, spent several years in my 20s trying every job that I was remotely interested in and never had a clear um, career path at all. I always knew I wanted to write a book, but Mm -hmm. I figured I'd do it, you know, when I was in my 50s or 60s when I'd lived a life. And then um, when I was 28, I realized I had a story I really wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started doing it. Mm -hmm. 
And so obviously you went through like a number of jobs up until that point. Um, Can you kind of, I guess, take us through um, maybe some of the thought processes that led you to those different jobs? And um, I think I know you were in marketing, um, you ended up in Mm -hmm. marketing, but kind of before that and, um, and how that felt, I guess, not really knowing where you were going or what was next or kind of feeling, did you ever feel lost along the way or what was that like? (laughs) I felt nothing but lost. Absolutely. Um, I think that every job I took sort of made sense for what I was interested in in at the time. Um, I think like every creative person, most creative people, I didn't have one idea of what, of how I wanted to express myself. I took, um, you know, jobs teaching and in fashion and, um, I was a dancer for a while and I was um, a buyer for a um, boutique and I, I did all of these different things that I thought were creative in some way. I wrote a lot for different nonprofits and um, tried to get sort of a journalism career going in different ways. And I think the one thing that they all had in common was sort of a self-expression but to me that could cut, that could manifest in so many different ways and i was just trying to find the way that would stick and nothing was really sticking um and so i just you know it was like i had multiple jobs uh every year and some of them kind of overlapped and it's also living in kind of expensive cities i had to pay my bills mm. so i was following both practicality and my curiosity at the time mm. And so then I think, you know, you kind of went into marketing and you kind of felt like that was it in a way for you. Yeah, I think it made the most sense out of everything. Certainly more more sense than a tap dance teacher. Mm. (laughs) Although that's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) I think I even read on your website that you're a, was it flamenco enthusiast or something like that? And I was like, great. (laughs) Do you you dance a lot? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Um, So obviously now, you know, you run the incredible Instagram account um, at by Murray Andrew and, um, and you've just released this beautiful book. Um, and so what, I guess, what was that change up point? Like, what was that point when you decided, okay, this is, um, I'm going to try this and then, and yeah, what, what shaped you to, or, or led you to this moment and to where you are now? Um, there was no one day that I made a decision at all. It was, um, a very organic process. I was, uh, in a really bleak place in my late twenties. I kind of realized that I didn't really have a path that I was proud of. I didn't really have a career track. Um, I decided that once and for all, I did want to be a writer, but I really had nothing to show for it. And I didn't even know how to get into it. You know, it was a, it was hard to figure out, okay, does that mean fashion writing? Does that mean writing about myself? Does that mean humor writing? Like, what am I even good at? I've never mm-hmm. really even done this before, except for my journal. And I love doing it so much, but what is it even going to look like? And then I sort of hit... Um, a rock bottom when I lost my father and went through this super traumatic breakup and had some health issues that kept me at home for a while. Mm. So I basically had about a year of just being with myself. Mm. And I was forced to look at my life um, in clear detail. Mm. And I was forced to look at the things that were not really working about my life. So you know, the way that I was using relationships, the way that I was going from job to job, Mm. um, the way that my apartment didn't look the way that I wanted it to look. 
I would think to myself, I wish I were one of those people who did yoga every day. Mm. And I realized that is totally within my control. Why am I not doing these things that I want to do? Um, I always really liked painting with watercolors. I found it really soothing. And so I decided to start doing that more often. In fact, every day. And I thought I'm going to draw something every day for a year and paint it in with watercolors. And it's going to be this really soothing part of my day. And it was, and that's what I did. And, um, I never expected anyone to give one crap about what I was doing, but they did. And that was quite a surprise and a gift to me. It's quite, I, I guess, it's, I mean, for, for some, I think like that process of, I mean, it's very self-aware in terms of being able to say, look, I, I want all these things and I'm aware that I want all these things and I say these things and I'm actually in control of that and, and acknowledging that and then doing something about it. Um, was that something like that, did that happen overnight or was that like a long process that, that led you to actually recognizing that and being able to do that? It did happen a bit overnight. Mm. I think that um, dealing with, grief mm. in um, what I found to be a pretty typical way is to kind of have this rush of adrenaline. You realize that you're going to die someday mm. and your time is limited. And what am I doing if not enjoying my life to its full extent? Um, it wasn't just that I felt like I had to be productive, but I felt like, wow, I have so much more to experience. There's so much more I want to do. There's so much more I want to feel. And um, there's so much more happiness that I want to give myself. And I've got to start by buying some house plants. Like I've got to start by going to the yoga studio down my block. Like I need to start taking more dance classes, um, learn how to do makeup. Like I need to do these things that I've always sort of just wanted to do. And um, I know that I'm not getting any younger and I don't know what my career path is. I don't think that I want to be in marketing forever, but I don't have a lot of control over that right now. So what do I have control over? It's spending time with people I love. It's doing the things that I love to do. Mm. Um, and so I, at that time, I also realized I have this story that I want to tell. Stories were so powerful and so important to me mm. while I was dealing with grief and depression. And I realized I think that I want to give my story to other people. Mm. So I started writing this book and concurrently I started this Instagram account. And so, um, the two kind of went together. They were, they journeyed in tandem and it was really great to be able to incorporate illustrations, um, into this story. I never expected to do that. So mm. that was really fun as well. Mm. So Mari, you, you talk about how stories and, um, and the stories of others were so powerful for you during that time. Can you talk about why that was and what they gave you, I guess, during that time? Yeah. The feeling of not being so alone when you're in an incredibly isolated situation mm. is so powerful. I never really realized that. I've always really connected to stories and I've always thought that stories were such a beautiful tool for empathy, but... Um, I didn't realize how powerful they were for getting through um, these really difficult times of mm -hmm. life. And especially when I was dealing with grief, I was 28. Not many of my friends had ever lost someone close to them before. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't know what I was going through. Um, I didn't really know what I was going through. It was really confusing. It was really hard to articulate. 
And so I was so grateful to find stories that felt like mine and I could sort of use them as a blueprint for getting through it. Um, I heard people name emotions that I didn't realize that I was feeling. And when those were articulated to me, it made me understand myself better. And it made me feel like, wow, I can, I can get through this. Like someone else got through this. I can Mm. get through this. Mm. And I think that is what makes stories, but also your artwork so powerful as well, because it's kind of that little, um, shining light or something that you see each day that says you know we're not perfect I'm not perfect the world's not perfect um I'm struggling too you're struggling too and you don't have to be don't you don't have to pretend to be anything that you're not um and it's okay just to be here exactly as you are as a full human being with complexities and um and and showing up just as that as that person and that self yes it's so important and all my favorite artists do that really Mm. well Mm. um so obviously so I guess the that illustration and the art became, is it, is it right to say kind of like a form of therapy to work through what you were going through at that point in life? For sure. For sure. Yeah. I think that, um, kind of the point of traditional therapy is to own your story Mm. to learn more about yourself Mm. and to develop tools that help you get through the messiness of life. And that's what art was doing for me as well. So, um, it was helping me to, claim my story as my own Mm -hmm. and I think it's so easy to feel um when these things happen to you that you wouldn't have chosen to happen to you it feels like you get a bit disconnected from yourself you're a bit lost from yourself and to say you know to stand in your story with confidence and say this is something that happened to me and now it's a part of me and I'm stronger for it I'm Mm -hmm. better for it that's a really powerful gift that you can give yourself. And that took a long time for me, but it was through art and expressing and connecting with people that I was able to do that. Mm. It reminds me of um, the work of Brene Brown and something Mm -hmm. that she, I think one of her quotes that talks about, I think it really is something like owning your story is one of the bravest things that you'll ever do or something like that. And so good. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I guess I'm like a complete rip off of Brene. (laughs) I use all of her, Um, All of her messages, you know, the power of um, speaking your shame and speaking your um, your pain. It is the way to make it uh, yours and to make it, um, you know, something powerful instead of something that you want to hide from people. Mm. And that it's not easy to do that. It's like, you know, I think sometimes. Um, you can see these sorts of messages around that talk about owning your story or, you know, just be authentic. Um, mm-hmm. And it can seem like, oh, just be yourself, you know, like right. this really simple thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, just yeah. wake up and be yourself. Yeah, like you should be able to do that. Um, but it's not hard. It's not always easy to do that, to actually own, sit in that emotion and own that story. It's um, not at all, No. Yeah. Has that, was that hard for you? Like how, how did you navigate that? Absolutely. I mean, I, again, I think that... Um, doing this art on a daily basis really gave me that that muscle and that tool for speaking my story authentically. Mm. It is really hard to do. In my entire life, from when I was really young, people have told me I'm too sensitive. I'm too, um, you know, I take things too personally. Mm. I'm too emotional. And um, so many of my journal entries from when I was a kid and a teenager were, you know, these like, what is wrong with me? These questions of why am I so different? Why, 
why do other people seem to have it so easy? And mm-hmm. there's like something I can't really get over in myself. And um, it took until I started doing this, it took until my late 20s to realize, oh, I actually have this power, which is sensitivity and observation. And um, even these parts of my story that I don't love, the feeling of being isolated and depressed and grieving and mm-hmm. in pain. Um, but these are ways that I can connect with people. And this is uh, this is something that I can give to people the way artists have given that to me. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me stand more powerfully in who I am. And then I'm more likely to be authentic, you know, to myself in, in a day-to-day and really understand what that means. Mm. And because obviously Instagram is quite a public platform. Yes, <laughs> so I hear. <laughs> yeah. So putting that stuff out into the world, I mean, that can be that can be quite scary because it is, you know, it's very, it is very vulnerable. It is very open um, and very real. Um, has that ever been, has that ever crossed your mind that, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not sure about putting this out there or was it always just, I'm going to throw this out there and say what happens from the start? It's pretty easy for me. I think that, um, I just have a personality type where it's very easy for me to be open. Um, when I first meet people, I tend to be very open right off the bat mm. And for me, that's always been a great connector. It's something that I do really well. And um, so that hasn't been a source of fear for me. I get a lot of questions. How do you get over the fear of putting yourself out there? Mm. And that was just never scary for me. Um, As my audience has grown, I am a lot more conscious of what I put out there. So I do have to watch my words. I I have to think about the way I'm articulating something for it to make more sense, be less likely to be misinterpreted mm. or cause any pain for mm. people. Um, I'm also pretty protective of the people in my life. So I think people feel like they know me pretty well, but I never talk about my friends who are everything to me. Mm. You know, I rarely talk about my relationships as they're happening. I usually talk about relationships um, from the past. And um, I also don't talk about any fresh wounds. And I think that there is this um, misunderstanding of what vulnerability is. It doesn't mean you have to put your whole self out there all the time. That's actually a pretty dangerous thing to do. And it's mm. not vulnerability. That's oversharing, which I think is a real thing. And mm. um, I think that vulnerability is speaking from your scars. So instead of your fresh wounds, you know, mm. taking a bit of distance from that and speaking from a place of this is something that happened, but I'm on the mend and I'm dealing with it in a healthy way. And now I'm going to share what that process was like so that you can deal with it in a healthy way as well. Mm, I love that. And so, um, you know, I guess when you started, obviously you, you had zero followers and (laughs) (laughs) and you've grown now to, I think over 800,000 or, you know, something similar. Um, and you always talked about how when you started and even now, um, it, you did it for you. The platform mm-hmm. was for you and for no one else. Um, but now with having, having this community who, um, you know, relates and connects with your work so much, does that ever get um, difficult to manage or do you ever feel um, a sense of obligation to them or how do you kind of navigate that now with so many followers? I'm so lucky. I think that I came, I think because I came at it a little older mm. and, um, my identity was um, in so many different areas. My identity is in my friends and my uh, love of travel, my love of dance, my love for my mom. And um, I have 
a pretty scattered understanding of, of who I am in a good way. It's scattered in a lot of really beautiful areas of life. And Instagram is one little part of that. Mm. And I think because I came at it a bit older, it doesn't really affect me the way I think it would um, even a few years ago. I don't think I'd be emotionally strong enough to handle um, a lot of the pressure. Right now, it doesn't really feel like pressure. Mm. I. It's funny because I'm not really this carefree in any <laughs> other part of life, but I don't think about the numbers. I truly don't. I think the minute I start thinking about it is the minute I need to stop because it needs to be for me first mm-hmm. and only. And I always think to myself almost every day, if Instagram were to disappear tomorrow, and it might, mm-hmm. would I still do this? would I still be interested in drawing every day? And if the answer keeps being yes, then I'm going to keep doing it. If it's not, or if I feel like I'm obligated to people I've never met, that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and you're so right. It could disappear tomorrow. And I love that way of looking at it and being like, well, if it did, would it be the end of the world? Like, And what would I keep doing what I was doing anyway? Exactly. Mm. And I, 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 I think that's really interesting, the way you talk about that as well, because I do wonder whether... Um, starting on, and I don't know, obviously, because social media kind of came around when I was um, late teens, early adult as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, would would a sense of self-worth be tied so heavily to social media? I don't know yeah. personally, but I wonder if that is something that, um, you know, children and teenagers growing up now r- rely on and, and what the impact of that will be. Yeah, I see it. I hear it. I mm. mean, it sounds like a very big part of their identity. Mm. And... Um, I'm sure there's something like that in every generation. I don't think this yeah. is brand new, but yeah. I think that that is um, worrisome yeah. that, you know, this projected image of yourself is a big part of who you understand yourself to be mm-hmm. at a young age. Even for me, you know, it's difficult. And what I try to do on my account is be kind of an antidote to that, to show um, the imperfections, the messiness, the complexities. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my decision to be really bad at technology and not like I can't even work a scanner. So I just take photos of my illustrations, which are like so playful and simple and kind of look like an eight year old did them. And that's not like an active decision that I made, but I think that it does sort of help with the authenticity and it is something a little bit rough in your your feed of glossy perfect photos it's highly highly imperfect what I do so I like to think that I provide that service of imperfection for the Instagram community at every step of the way (laughs) um and so before I guess you started drawing and illustrating how did you how did you process emotions and feelings before that was there was there a way that you kind of relied on or was it kind of an experimental process or I've always been such a writer mm. and I don't even think I acknowledged that to myself until I was a bit older. I have um, a closet full of journals I've kept since I was five at my mom's house. I have to do it. I have to write, um, whether it's letters or um, just on my computer. I love to um, to hand write in my, in my journals. Mm. And um, that is a way that I've learned so much about myself, so much about the world. I write all of my observations down, and I always have. Mm. And that's kind of given me that muscle for observation, but also self-exploration and Mm. discovery. 
And um, drawing feels a lot like that. Mm. It's very, very similar. And um, writing is just a constant companion for me that I know I'll have the rest of my life. And knowing that is such a joy. I always tell people, find something you can rely on that is not a person mm. <laughs> that will get you through. Because um, if you have that thing, like whether it's exercise or you know, art or um, just walking through a park, if you mm. have this thing that you can rely on that always makes you happy, that's going to be your friend mm. throughout your life. Absolutely. And, you know, people are not always necessarily going to be there and they can't always be there. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with... Um, I guess with, with your Instagram account, I want to stay on that a little bit more before I move to some other topics. Mm-hmm. Um, but was there, has there been a post that surprised you um, or the most in terms of the response that you got or um, something that actually you know, blew things out of the ballpark or um, anything like that for you? Yeah, it always surprises me, the ones that get a lot of response. Mm. <laughs> um, I think of myself as a pretty... Um, a typical person. I, I've always been kind of a misfit. Mm. And so it's very surprising to me that now I'm considered a relatable person because <laughs> I've always thought, always thought my whole life um, I'm different from everyone else. I always felt really different. And so I, um, you know, will sometimes put these illustrations that are so specific to me. I just think I'm being like, this could only happen to me. This has only ever happened to me. And I'll even sort of push the limit sometimes. And I'll post it. And so many people mm. can relate. I think we're all just really going through the same things. Um, one post that has been far more popular than any others was um, I published on Mother's Day. Mm. And it's a series of six um, little illustrations of bouquets. And it says, thinking of you. And it's... Um, demographics of women who, or anyone, I guess, who might um, find the holiday to be painful. Mm. And um, it's such a simple thing to me. That's that's something I've always thought about. I have a really great relationship with my mom, and mm. I've never had children or tried to have children. And so it's not a painful holiday for me, but mm. I know it is for so many people. And again, you know, trying to be sort of the antidote to what people are seeing in their feeds. Mm. Um, they're seeing, you know perfect mother-daughter portraits or, you know, a, a lovely mom with her little Instagrammable babies, you know, and matching yeah, outfits yeah. and big bouquets. And and I wanted to say, you know, if you're in pain today, I'm thinking about you. Mm. And it's wild to me how popular that one was. I think it got like 120,000 likes, mm. like crazy. And I, it just made me realize, like, we are not listening to each other. You know, if that, if this super simple post that just says, I'm thinking about you, if you have lost your mom or you have a strained relationship mm-hmm. with your mom or you're not able to have children or something, if that post can resonate so strongly with others, it's like, what are we missing in our, our storytelling? What are we missing in you know, our sort of public sphere where we're not acknowledging that people more often than not um, have these, you know, painful circumstances associated with days or seasons or Mm. times of year, um, you know, just uh, an experience that everyone else is supposed to find really joyful and happy. Mm. 
And I guess it is that, you know, whose voices are missing from these these stories or these areas exactly. that we yeah right. we hear so often or that we see in the media so often. Um, Absolutely. I saw that going around and I, I remember loving that post and I, and I did see it on so many different people's feeds sharing it because it was so beautiful and heartfelt and um, and deeply honest and real and um, affirming, I think, for a lot of people. You know, f- from that, I guess, you know, we're talking about, like, needing to listen more. How, how do we listen more as a society and as a world? And, and there's a lot of stuff happening right now and... Um, I think in terms of my conversations with people and human beings and and um, the state of the world, a lot of um, a lot of us are quite um, unsure of what to do or how to make a difference or how to be there for someone else or um, how to create change for good, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that we can as individuals because these these kind of ideas of equality or um, or or other things they seem so overwhelming and so large and it's hard to kind of know where you fit within that. That story. So, um, I guess in your in your um, experience or your opinion, what do you think we can do to listen more or to to be there for that? I'm trying to figure that out. Mm. It's really overwhelming, and I think that when an individual is confronted with all of the suffering in the world, which we are every time we turn on the news. We can't take that. Mm-hmm. It has to start from a very personal place. And um, for me, that's what can I do today? Mm-hmm. Um, is it can I give $5 to a cause I care about? Is it texting my friend and saying, hey, I'm thinking about you and is everything going okay? Um, it's tending to the people right in front of me. So being you know, kind to cab drivers and waiters and... Um, and it's it's thinking globally and thinking we're all human. Mm-hmm. We could all be in each other's shoes, taking a moment to think about um, what that might be like for us, which is really hard to do. I think the hardest part of listening is just to sit still mm-hmm. and to not try to solve someone's problem and not try to offer a quick solution, but just to say I'm here and I'm under you know I'm, I'm listening to you and. Um, I'm hearing what you're saying and um, what can I offer, you know? Uh, That's a really hard thing to do because it's really uncomfortable. Mm. And empathy is really uncomfortable. It's really hard for us to look at someone and say, I could be experiencing what you're experiencing. That's almost, it's so scary for us that we try to think of ways that it would never happen to us. I was really seriously sick last year and I don't know why it happened. I don't know what the cause was. People ask me all the time, what did you eat? What did you, what were you doing the day you got sick? And I think it's this idea that, oh, if I prevent myself, you know, if I take the proper precautions, then this won't happen to me, Mm. but it could happen to anybody. Mm. So for you, um, something that comes up, I think, a lot in your work, as well as this idea of resilience, mm-hmm. um, was that something that you um, kind of came to understand a little bit more through that experience, or was it something that you had to tap into? Was it something that you literally kind of shut the door on and said, I'm not, I can't do this right now, I just need to be here in this and um, come out the other side when I'm ready? What was that experience like for you? Yeah. By the time I got sick, I had been through so many other things in mm. life. Um, I get, you know, the loss of my father was very profound for me. Um, 
I've experienced trauma a couple times in a couple ways. Mm. I've um, been through a lot. And I think by the time I got sick, I sort of thought, what is this? Like, I already went through this. I'm already grateful to be alive. (laughs) Like, what lesson am I supposed to get from this? But I was thankful for everything I had gone through because it really did prepare me. I think at that point, um, I knew the tools to get through it. Mm. I had a pretty strong mind. My mind became my best escape for getting through that. I had so many incredible memories. I had so many kind of mental tricks for making myself stronger and more positive. And my mind was where I lived because my body was paralyzed. Mm. And so it was even stronger than ever before. And um, so I already could see myself as a resilient person, which was kind of amazing. I mean, it was, it made so much sense of a lot of the pain I had suffered, which um, I don't think that things happen for a reason at all, but I think that I had given purpose to my pain and I had made it um, build me up Mm. and I had learned from it. I took a lot of time to learn from my pain. And so when I experienced it in this new way, I was able to navigate it, I think, a bit smoother. Mm. Um, I was very familiar with the dark places and it wasn't torture for me to live in that hell for a couple months. When I got out of it, I spent a very long time, and I'm still spending time giving purpose to that pain because it was the most difficult thing I've ever gone through Mm -hmm. and the most difficult thing that my mom has ever gone through. And um, it's it's incredibly difficult to live um, day-to-day knowing how horrible that is and knowing that people are in that right now. Mm. Um, I think that my empathy has increased so significantly and that's something that is like overwhelming for me a lot Mm. of the time. Um, But I think that the resilience um, comes in when I know, you know, how to even navigate that, how to navigate these really dark places that I go into about once a day and need to kind of pull myself out. It's that same sort of pulling myself out that I did a couple years ago when I was in grief and finding ways to explore my new self, finding ways to make myself happy again. I'm not the same person I was before Mm -hmm. I got sick, so I have to find ways to make this new person happy and make this new person capable of just functioning day to day because it can be really challenging. Mm. And when you're going through that, do you find that you grieve for the person that you were? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest parts. Mm. Mm, I can imagine. And so for those, I guess I should have probably started with this, but for those listeners who, who haven't heard about your story you were in Spain at the time and you were writing your book yeah um, that the same book life. that you've just yeah yes. loving life exactly in Granada was that yes. right yes um, and what you were diagnosed what were you diagnosed with what's the name um, of it it's a very exotic name yes. Guillain-Barre syndrome okay. I always thought it sounded like sort of a chic exercise program <laughs> um 
but it's a very rare autoimmune disease and it sort of attacks your nerves. I actually haven't read that much about it, so I don't even really know. But from what I understand, it attacks the nerves in your body. It's your immune system going bananas and um, it can be stopped. So I was so lucky that it the paralysis didn't spread to my head. That would have been really, really rough to get through. But it did go up to my um, my arms and my legs. And so for a month I was in the hospital, I wasn't able to do anything that I normally do mm-hmm. by myself. Um, something that I really like about myself, I've really cultivated in myself, is um, a sense of independence. I've always been extremely independent, I think to a fault. And this was the first time I had to have every uh, someone doing everything for me. There was nothing I could do by myself. And that was a horrific feeling. Mm. And I thought it might last forever. Um, I got out of the hospital or out of paralysis um, after a month. Mm -hmm. And then I was in physical therapy for a few months. And during that time, I was kind of learning how to function in the world again, Mm -hmm. having this new knowledge and this new identity. I couldn't do a lot of the things I normally do, i.e. writing and drawing. Mm -hmm. I had to put my book on hold for a while. Um, And I also wasn't able to keep posting on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I just felt very disconnected from who I was and who I thought I was. Mm. And so was, did, I guess, art and illustration become a way to move through that as well or was that something that you you I mean at the point when you could start drawing again was it something that helped you through that or was it something did you turn to something else um it was something I kind of um resented mm. because it was so hard for a long time and here's this thing that I had used in the past to give myself joy and now it felt like this job mm. like it was so hard to draw it felt like there was like a rubber band around my hands and it was like so much resistance. It just wasn't fun. Mm. Like nothing I really did was fun for a few months. Um, And I didn't know who I was anymore as a creative person. Like I didn't know what to write about anymore. Mm. I didn't know what to draw about. I wasn't doing my normal routine. So I normally draw about, um, you know, changing jobs and going on dates and exploring the world Mm. and um just like quiet times at home to myself and Mm. I had none of this Mm. like I was living with my mom I was in physical therapy all day Mm. um I was extremely depressed I didn't look like myself I was like my body had changed so much Mm. and I couldn't do the things that I normally love to do and so that's when I started writing and drawing about my mental state, which was pretty rough, Mm. um, and depression. It was the first time I had really experienced that. And, um, I found the large following that I had at that point really came on board with me. I thought that maybe it was going to be a point where we severed ways. Like I just can't produce the content I used to. I'm not thinking about this stuff anymore, Mm. but they went there with me. They went there, you know, into depression and, um, a lot of people who had experienced really traumatic illness were writing to me and saying, thank you for sharing this story. This Mm. is exactly how I feel. And that transformed my identity as an artist and came into something deeper, which now I, um, I have assumed as um, healer. I I feel like I 
you know, by telling stories, especially these ones mm-hmm. about these really intense places, that is something I can do to help heal people. And mm-hmm. we need all we can get these days. Mm. And do you think that it particularly resonated because, you know, mental illness is something that we don't really talk about that often? Is, is that why, um, do you think it particularly resonated or was there a reason for that? Yeah, I think um, it was just another life experience that mm. I now had to talk about. And I don't know, I think mental illness fortunately is um, being talked about mm. more and more in public. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm not an expert. I have my one experience. Um, I think that there are a lot of amazing artists who are really open mm. about anxiety and depression and bipolar disorder and a mm. lot of these things. And it was just my story of a pretty unusual circumstance. But I think a lot of the feelings I was going through, people could relate to Mm. in different times of their life. So, um, you know, even people who were just going through a period of loneliness Mm. or even a breakup. I mean, a lot of these, these feelings, they come from one certain situation, but it's not dependent on that one situation. Mm. You know, these feelings of isolation, a lack of curiosity, a sort of like disorientation. Who Mm. am I anymore? Mm. What is my identity now? I think that can resonate with a lot of people in a lot of different circumstances. Mm. And a sense of loss, I think as well. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. It's really similar. Yeah. Yeah. And so transferable against, yeah. Yeah. So so many experiences. Absolutely. Mm. So, you know, I guess you talk about, healing now as well and mm-hmm. I completely agree that I definitely think your work is healing and and the stories that you put out there and storytelling um full stop can be incredibly healing and validating I think for people as well and I think validation is really key um with with that obviously um and I think as well being someone who's so open and sensitive and um and vulnerable in great ways um do you ever feel like you take on a lot of what's happening in the world or what's happening with, you know, the people in your community and how do you, I guess, switch off and practice self-care and practice self-love? That's such a good question. Yeah, that's really a challenge for me. Um, I absorb everything. Mm -hmm. I'm so sensitive uh, to what I would call, you know, energy or things going on around Mm me. Um, It's really challenging to read the news. It's very, you know, emotionally draining. Mm. Um, It can be really emotionally draining for me to talk to people who are really going through rough things Mm. because I put myself in that place and I can do that really easily. Mm. And that's a gift and it's also incredibly overwhelming. And um, I do have to find ways to kind of protect that part of myself because if I felt all of my feelings all day long, I would never get anything done. Um, I do think that um, self-care, self-kindness looks very different day to day. Mm. Um, So for me, because I am, you know, really sensitive and very in touch with my emotions, a lot of times journaling and lighting a candle and sitting in the bath are the last things I need to do. (laughs) Like that is not healthy for me because I think about myself all day. So I think for a lot of people, perhaps with really um, hectic jobs or, you know, a lot of responsibilities who don't really get that time to tap in, 
um, to their introspection. I think, you know, those kinds of classic self-care yoga and meditation are really valuable for them. Mm. For me, that's just more time to spend with my feelings. So self-care for me often looks like going out dancing, like just getting out, um, going for a run, putting on some hip hop. Like I need to kind of get out of myself a lot. Mm. Um, that's something I really like about dating. It's something I love about meeting new people and, um, spending time with my friends and just being totally silly and ridiculous because I cannot be emotional all day long. (laughs) I just can't. So for me, I, I do note that it changes every day and there are certain days Um, I pride myself on being really informed about what's going on in the world, but there are a lot of days I just have to say, I'm not going to read today. I can't go there today and I'm going to do something else that feels equally as enriching or productive Mm. and, um, you know, outward facing, but I can't consume everything that's going on because it's just too much. Mm. Absolutely. And I think that's such a good point about um, the fact that self-care can look different to different people, Mm -hmm. especially like in today's world when I think self-care has kind of come become commercialized in so many ways. And it's, you know, it's packaged up into these neat little packages of what you need to, you know, take time out and make time for you. Um, And it's not, you know, it's not one size fits all. Like it has to work with um, with you and your own journey. And I think that's such a good point to make for a lot of people who maybe thinking like, you know, <laughs> I'm lighting the candle, I'm getting in the bath, like why yeah. isn't this helping? Like it's right, not like I've taken yeah. five baths today when yeah. it's enlightenment. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's not always that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's next for you, I guess, Murray, in terms of your plans and um, you know, after the book and, and everything else, what's next for you? I'm writing a second book right now, which is really, really exciting. Mm. Um, I think that my first book was a lot about these kind of outward journeys, finding career Mm. and community and um, traveling the world. And this one is a little bit more internal. Mm. Um, I'm so open to life right now. It's given me so many surprises. It's so surprising that I'm even here in Australia, something I've always wanted to do. And um, my life has been so shocking to me the past two years that I'm just so open to whatever's next and just saying yes to any opportunity that will have me and hopefully it'll take me um you know to more places around the world and to more lovely people and to just keep opening my eyes and getting to know myself better mm, I love it's it's funny because I know that you've said that you don't believe in what was it fate is that what you say yeah. yeah yeah but then also I think you know you talked about manifesting Australia I know. <laughs> I'm so, such a, so many contradictions but I really Australia was the one trip that I know that I manifested for myself because I spoke it into existence every day and I don't believe things happen for reason but I do think that I spoke myself to Australia <laughs> I love it. And I also love, um, there's a story, I think it's in your book, um, about swallows. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about, or tell us the story of the swallows? Yeah, I have a really special relationship with swallows. Mm. Um, Every time I travel by myself, I see a flock of them on the last night. It just always happens. Um, They might not always be swallows, depending on what country, but they're swallow-like. And... um, I actually, when I was trying to decide what to do next in my life, Mm. um, when I was living in Washington, D.C., and I was feeling very lost and disoriented, um, 
I, at that moment, I was taking a long walk trying to decide what to do. And I saw a mural of um, a flock of swallows flying from D.C. to Spain. I thought, I'm going to follow them to Spain. I'm sure it was like outside of the Spanish embassy. Like it wasn't as totally random as I think it was. Um, but when I got to Spain and when I left after getting really sick, I thought, the, like, the swallows have failed me. I'm not even going to look up. But I did look up. It is the biggest flock I've ever seen. And it's just this really beautiful moment in my life that you can interpret in a million different ways. And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily believe in signs, but I believe in anything that makes you feel hopeful. Mm-hmm. And so if it's, you know, a flock of birds, why not? Why not think that that's a sign that things are going to work out and be okay and that you are sort of taken care of in your life? I just love that so much. Thank you. <laughs> Me too. I know. And it does feel so meant to be. Like, it really does in terms of, you know, the fact that you were in Spain even at that point and then you looked up and saw them. I just love it. It's taken care of me. Mm. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So um, on your website, you mentioned that you value optimism, resilience, vulnerability and joie de vivre. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you prioritize those values in your life and what does that actually look like for you? Mm. A lot of that is the people I surround myself with. Mm. Um the thing of thing the thing that I'm most proud of in my life is my friendships. And I just try to be around people who are funnier and more vibrant and smarter and more interesting than I am because I feel like through osmosis I'll take on their good <laughs> qualities. And I try to be around really positive people. And the trick to positivity is to have gone through some really hard things. Um, I don't trust empty positivity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when I see someone who's truly joyful and living in that joie de vivre and just mm-hmm. really grateful for every day, that's someone who's been to hell a couple times. Mm-hmm. Like that is someone who's been through a lot and has really done work to pull themselves out of it mm-hmm. and be really appreciative for what they have. Um, it's not the kind of positivity and gratitude you see on Instagram, but it's very real. And that's something that I chase in people and I see it and I, I just want to be there. I want to be their friend, be with them. Totally. And you're so right. There is such a thing as empty positivity. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like that, just like, just think positive. Just yeah. Like, yeah. No, not helpful. Not helpful no. at all. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and obviously you are from where I sit anyway, quite an optimistic person yes um but I'm sure like all human beings we all struggle with something what do you struggle with most as a woman good question I struggle with so many things (laughs) how to do my makeup um I struggle with the constant um desire and impulse to keep being really open with my heart Mm. and also um, the balance of trying to guard it. Mm. And I'm talking about romantic relationships. I struggle with that a lot. Um, I just want to give my whole being to someone so quickly. And that's been kind of a constant struggle for me um, because I really, I love the feeling of real connectedness with anyone Mm. um with friends you know you don't have to be so guarded but with romantic partners you really do and that's very hard for me 
So how do you navigate that? Do you have like a, is there a little like mini rule book? I'm so bad at it. I'm trying to be better about not telling my whole life story. Mm. Like the minute I introduce myself to someone, um, I try to be a little bit more careful about what I share. It's Mm. a little hard with my profession because Mm. they can see so much of it online, but that's, you know, that's a small part of myself. Mm. Um, I... I try to really listen to myself a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I think that a lot of women are conditioned to make things easier for people. Mm-hmm. And so when I see a, a red flag or a pink flag, just like a little bit um, of a warning sign, I'm very quick to give someone the benefit of the doubt. And I'm trying, as I get older, to listen to that more and say, hmm, this doesn't really sit right with me. Why is that happening? And to be more cautious and you know, just give myself a little more space um, as opposed to just saying, oh, I'm sure you're perfect. Like, let's run off together because that's <laughs> my impulse. <laughs> and it's so true that I think as women, we are conditioned to be nice. We're conditioned to be caretakers. We're conditioned to smile and to um, yeah. say sorry <laughs> yeah, all the time. Sure. And, um, yeah. Do you like in terms of, I guess, the stereotypes or the labels and expectations that we do come up against as women? Um what have you str- struggled with most or, you know, do you, how have you kind of overcome those stereotypes or those labels to be like, you know what, this is me and I'm mm-hmm. going to stand by that and I'm not going to say sorry when I haven't done anything to say sorry for. Oh my gosh, it's so hard. I mean, for very sensitive people, mm-hmm. it's especially hard. I think it's hard for any woman, but um, sensitive people tend to be doormats. Mm-hmm. I mean, they tend to let a lot of people in and um, give to a lot of people and give what they think is expected. Mm. Um, I find myself doing that a lot because I don't want to hurt feelings. And I know that that's pretty um, common and conditioning for most women, but especially sensitive women. It's Mm. really tough. And I never want to toughen myself up, you know, to just to kind of operate on Mm. a more masculine plane. I never want to stop saying sorry because I naturally do that. And I like being polite, you know, it's so a part of me and to not do that is, um, is to kind of give into the patriarchy. It's like, well, I think more men should say sorry, Mm. you know, like why, why do we have to be less accommodating? Why do we have to be less generous with our, um, you know, our hearts and our, like our hospitality and the way that we make things easier for Mm. people. I think that men could learn a lot from these things that are sort of inherent in women or at least conditioned in women. Um, But I do find that I have to, (laughs) I have to check myself a lot, (laughs) especially because I am in a very giving profession. Mm. And sometimes, um, you know, it's, uh, (laughs) it is, a little too much some days and I have to kind of draw that boundary which yeah. I like to think of as um not a wall but as like a a field of sunflowers like just protecting me like I can't give everything yep. to the outside yeah we've talked obviously about um I guess about how you've used art as as therapy and also just generally as a form of self-expression mm-hmm. um, for the, for the, you know, the people I guess listening who maybe art isn't something that they feel comfortable with mm-hmm. or they don't want to go, go there. Um, do you have any words of advice about how someone else might be able to um, delve into that space of self-expression and, and 
maybe some other um, things that they could try if, if art seems like something that they don't want to go near. <laughs> yeah, I think there's so many ways to explore your feelings, explore yourself. Mm. Um, I'm so lucky to have a very diverse group of friends who all have really different ways of thinking. And for a lot of them, you know, it's like decorating their apartment mm. or um, even just talking with other people. Or I have a friend who does math for fun, which I think <laughs> is absolutely baffling. But it really gives him that time to just like think about himself and mm. sit with himself. Mm. And I think that's so cool. And anything that you can find that is... um a hobby that's reliable for you that you will enjoy and gives you that time to separate from other people that's the time that you can sort of explore what's mm. really going on inside it doesn't have to be creative mm. if it were creative for everyone we'd all be we'd all be way too emotional for our own good i think that's um not something that everyone needs to aspire to um, if there's any way that you can just enjoy and sit with yourself, even if it's, you know, taking yourself out to eat or um, cooking or anything like that, spending time with your dog, whatever, um, just having that time um, to really sit with yourself is really valuable. Mm, mm, absolutely. And in terms of, um, again, we've talked about a little bit today about um, you and as being you know being a sensitive person absorbing so much from mm. the world and from the people around you and um and obviously we have a choice to surround ourselves with um great people and with mm. positive people who leave us feeling empowered and nourished and really energetic after we've spent time with them um you know is there do you have to have you made that choice i guess to surround yourself with those people or are there lines you've had to kind of draw in terms of negative people in your life or how, how can people I guess cope with or, or deal with um, negativity in their life in a way that's healthy and um, empathetic and um, supportive I find that really hard <laughs> I uh, I think that's a struggle for anybody mm. um, I because I think of my boundaries as a sort of garden rather than wall mm. I think about nourishing the you know, the flowers, the plants that are really blooming and bringing me a lot of joy mm -hmm. and then kind of weeding, essentially. Yeah. And um, sometimes you do just have to let relationships go. Mm -hmm. There are a lot that are a huge demand on your emotions, your time and your positivity and can really weigh you down. Um, I think that every person is really valuable and has you know, is so worthy of friendship and love. But I don't think that you have to be that person who's going to give that love to someone mm. who is really draining on you. Mm. And I think that's something that I hope to learn more about as I get older. I'm starting to see myself um, get a little more confident in that um, and really, you know, uh, spending time thinking about who does really make me happy mm. and who do I want to invest more in. Um, I think that's something that you can start when you're pretty young and it will um, benefit you as you grow older. Mm. And it is so hard, you're right, because, you know, half the time as well, you, well, I think for most people, you want to be there for people. And even yeah. if, you know, it's maybe not necessarily the best decision for you and, and yourself and where you're at. Um, so I think I like that idea of just kind of shifting your time or your focus on the things that are, 
um, giving you more and nourishing you more rather than necessarily focusing on maybe the negative aspects. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. That's the only way that I've found to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Being, you know, a podcast where we talk about change and, and taking those sort of big leaps in terms of career or lives or, you know, um, health or whatever it may be. Um, you are someone who's, I think, you know, like your book title, had, had a very loop-de-loop zigzagging, you know, journey to where you are today and you've taken lots of leaps and bounds in different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any sort of, I guess, lasting words or words of advice for people who are maybe looking to make a change and are a little bit scared to take that leap or um, how did you choose to actually go and stand in that fear and, t- and make that change? <laughs> what a great question. So few of my big leaps have been intentional. <laughs> They've been out of survival um, or out of necessity. Um, I need to make money, so I need to get a job. And it's a totally weird job for me, but I have to do it. I think that so much of your 20s is just kind of tinkering around and making decisions based on what makes sense at the time. Mm. Um, there's certain things I've done in my life that I think that would that would seem very brave to other people. Um, right after I graduated college, I moved to South America. I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't really have an idea of what I was doing down there, but I just went. And for me, that was much less scary than trying to find a job mm. in the U.S. Um, but I think in those big moments, learning to be really comfortable with yourself is essential because you will be lonely. And um, even if you're just starting a new job, that's terribly lonely. If you're starting a new relationship, that's scary. If you're um, certainly moving to another city or if you're in any kind of transition, you are going to have times where you feel like you're the only person going through that and the Mm -hmm. only person who really understands. And people will let you down. Um, So you have to make yourself into a person you want to spend time with. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is cultivating hobbies you like to do. A lot of it is getting to know the things you really like about yourself and learning ways that you really enjoy spending time alone because that is, I think, your greatest tool for getting through these really tumultuous times of life. Mm. And I think as well there's kind of a part around it where, um, like, teaching yourself not to necessarily... Um, shy away from discomfort all the time like obviously Mm. we're not talking about times when it's actually dangerous that's completely different but like Mm. times when you know you might be afraid of something or um, it's feeling a little bit uncomfortable but then leaning into that fear and leaning into that comfort in order to then grow and and you know make a change for good yes yes sitting with yourself Mm. instead of blaming other people for your problems is such a big (laughs) step in growing up and it's so hard but it's so essential and it is really a way to mature and it is a way to uh, get through the really hard times Mm. and I think as well something for me as well growing up I think there was um, I always felt like there was a and I think I still feel it kind of deep down now is that um, this sense of like I'm running out of time or that you know Mm -hmm. every decision you make has to be the one that's going to get you to where you're going yes and so you kind of shy away from ever like taking a little detour because you're like well is that going to take me to where I'm going and how do I know where I'm going and you know every decision has to be the end game and so dealing with that pressure can be really stifling and really um, can stop you I think can hold you back Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I used to feel that every decision I made 
had to have some great purpose for the rest of my life. Mm. But life is long and it's so surprising. And if you lean into the surprises instead of trying to avoid them, you'll be much better for mm. it. And so what advice would you give to your younger self, Mari? <laughs> um, don't have a pixie cut for eight years because <laughs> it's not very flattering to your face. <laughs> That's all. I can't... Um, I wouldn't change my path, so I, I think that maybe I'd tell myself to be a little more comfortable in it, but um, ultimately I think your younger self just has to kind of waddle along and make the mistakes that you're going to make, and that's the only way that you can learn and grow. Beautiful. And I'm going to, the last sort of thing, which really I think I was looking through your work, and I, I've followed it for a very long time, but something that it reminds me of um, and I think a nice way to sort of end the interview is that it, that quote by, I believe it's Ram Das. We're all just walking each other home, mm, and I, I think that. your yeah, and I think your work really speaks so beautifully to that. And um, and we are all just walking each other home on this journey through this bizarro kind of world that we live in and experiences that we have. Thank you so much. That's lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you for being part of the show and um, and for coming to Australia and gracing us with your presence. My pleasure. Wouldn't <laughs> miss it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the final episode of The Change Up brought to you by Tom Organic. But they're going to live in podcast land forever. So come back and have a listen, share with your friends, and we really hope you got a little piece of gold out of every chat that we did have. Um, and you know what? There are so many fabulous women doing awesome stuff out there, creating big ripples and massive changes. So it is exciting times. Thanks again for listening to The Change Up brought to you by Tom Organic. Bye for now.